0: God's promise to David. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it for God is with you. But that night, the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not milked me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies." I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honouring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord. For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people Israel, your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever Do as you promised so that it will be established and so your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty, the God over Israel is Israel's God and the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. You, Lord, our God, you have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it and it will be blessed forever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Chloe. And a very happy new year. My name is James. I'm on the staff team here at HDC. And it's so great to be with you here at the start of this year. Let me start by encouraging each one of us. We've already made a great start this year. Hopefully, this day has gone by being here at church together, worshipping God and praying to him and hearing his word and so let me pray to start father god we thank you for your grace towards us in your son jesus and we pray that you would speak to us now as we look at your words in one chronicles and that we like john newton 250 years ago that we would be amazed afresh at your grace towards us in christ his and in his name we pray amen Amen. Well, I wonder, how did you see the New Year in last night? Was it a good evening, good night? Um, For some people, it might be a particular thing each time, maybe the same thing you do every year. Maybe it's different. Maybe last night was different to how it's been before. I know for some people, I've got a friend who is always the same each year. and doesn't really start the night until midnight, and then it really gets going from there. Whereas other people I know, um, it's actually not really different to normal. Like my parents when we were growing up. My, I have three brothers, all quite close in age. And I think my parents saw it was a nice chance to get a good early night and then have a nice quiet morning while everyone else is in bed. Well, ironically, last night, I was the one with an early night. My parents were at a party. So how things have changed uh, in the, at that time. Well, today and next week, um, for the next two weeks, we're doing a little series called Amazing Grace 250. A little bit like Revitalize 250, but the reason why we say 250 is because it's 250 years ago, exactly to this day, on the 1st of January, 1773, this famous hymn, Amazing Grace, was first sung. And you may have seen this leaflet on your pew. Um, if you want one of these and you haven't got one do just indicate to, um, I think Natalie's around, got some. Uh, if you want, oh, there's loads at the back at the end. Um, but what we're gonna do is basically be looking at the hymn, Amazing Grace, um, while, also based on the passage in 1 Chronicles, and that's because, as you'll see on this leaflet, John Newton wrote this hymn based on the passage in 1 Chronicles we just heard read from Chloe. It's actually quite a habit of his. To every new year, while he was a minister, he would always write a summarising hymn that goes with the passage he was preaching on. And 250 years ago, it was this hymn. And so I'm going to read this hymn out now, the original version, and then we're going, as we're going to refer to a little bit throughout the talk. Um, so it's just at the forefront of our minds. So this is, you might be, maybe familiar words to you, um, but do, do listen in and see how is God speaking to me through these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sounds, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, But God, who called me here below, will be forever mine. Familiar words to many. And we'll see that some of those words are from Newton's own experience, his own life, his own story. But it's also coming directly out of this passage, as we will see. And for John Newton, New Year was a particularly important time for him. But other times of the year were also important. And one of those times was the 21st of March. Because the 21st of March in 1748, when he was just 22 years old, It was on board ship in the middle of a ferocious storm, and that's when he cried out for mercy to God. He lived far from God before that point, but he cried out to God for mercy, and that was when he first turned to the Lord. And every year after that, on the 21st of March, he kept that day special, his day of remembrance, thanksgiving for fasting and for prayer. And so I wonder, are there particular dates in our life that are important to us? Maybe each year, for example, on our birthday, for me turning 30 this year, I want that to be a significant time in July, time to look back, reflect, and time to look forward, in anticipation of what is to come. But also even each week, I'd like to make good use of my Monday mornings, priorities set them clear for the week ahead, but also each day to spend time in God's word and in prayer, as Jago has been encouraging us to do. For me, that works best in the mornings. I wonder what are the particular times for you? What are those significant times each day? each week, even each year, to come before God and to see what he has in store for us going forward, but also to reflect back on how his grace has been at work in us looking back. And I'm inspired to do that partly because for John Newton, that habit of looking back and looking ahead is something he did on a regular basis. He would look back and see God's goodness and grace in his life, bringing him to where he is at the moment, but also looking ahead at the promises of God, anticipation, of all that God has in store for him, the wonderful assurance of God's presence with him wherever he goes. And we'll see in this passage that God leads David to look back and also to look ahead, look back at God's faithfulness to him and ahead to the promises of blessing that are to come. So it's worth us pausing just right now and just let's take a moment to consider how has God been at work in my life over this last year? How have I seen the mercy of God over this last year? And as we look ahead to all the year holds, what are our hopes? What are our longings? Maybe more our fears. What are our prayers for this year ahead? I have to say, I don't ask those questions often enough, I don't think. I'm so often caught up in what I need to do at any given moment. I don't often stop to think, how is God at work in my life right now? How has God already been at work previously? And how am I longing and praying for God to be at work in my life going forward? And some of us here today. It might be your first time here at church, and I just want to say a huge welcome to HCC. And I just want to say that it's worth asking that question for each one of us. What has brought us to this place right now? What are the events in our lives, the significant things that have shaped us as to who we are right now? This chance to take stock, to reflect, is something we see John Newton doing on a regular basis. And it's also something we see King David do in this passage. We see that right at the start of the passage from verse 1. So if you've got a Bible, do keep it open to that page 420, or it's on the screen as well. But we'll see that David has settled into his um, palace, his huge, big cedarwood palace. And he's just defeated the Philistines, which are a neighboring country, the enemy country. And he's just brought the Ark of the Covenant back to the capital of Israel at that time, back to Jerusalem. And just to be clear, the Ark of the Covenant is not a big thing like Noah's Ark. It's rather a small little box, And it has two tablets of stone on which were engraved Ten Commandments, But above all, this box is a picture of God's loyal, faithful, passionate commitment to his people. It's a sign and a symbol of God's presence. So where the Ark of the Covenant, that is where God is. So when the Philistines capture the Ark, that's a big deal. It'd be a little bit like if I lost my wedding ring. That would be a big deal as well. Not just because it's expensive, but because it's a sign and a commitment to my love and my devotion to my wonderful wife, Ashlyn. So how much more, if you lose the presence of God. You lost, the, the, the people at that time, they lost the Ark of the Covenant to this other nation. How much more worried and more anxious would they have felt then? But thankfully, they got it back. And so you can imagine the immense relief that David and all the Israelites would have felt at that time. There's a huge party and a huge celebration. The whole nation comes together to celebrate the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. And all God's people praising God together. They go back to their own homes and David goes back to his home and he blessed his family And it's all joy and celebration. And yet even in that moment of joy, David could sense something wasn't quite right. Because he was in this big palace. And yet the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence dwelt, was next door under a tent, just outside. And he says this to Nathan, the prophet at that time. Nathan initially says, it's fine, do what you want. Do whatever seems right to you. But until that evening, when God speaks to Nathan, and what does God say? Well, in effect, God leads David to look back. He reminds David of all the ways that he has been at work in his life. We see that from verse 5. Let's read it now, where God says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God is on the move. God cannot be contained to one particular place. God moves where his people move. And isn't that amazing at the start of this year to know that wherever we go this year, God goes with us. God goes before us. God is with us wherever we go. But God doesn't just say he was present just generally with God's people. But he says to David, I was personally present with you through your particular trials and difficulties and all you've been through up till now. You see that in verse seven where God says now tell now then tell my servant David this is what the Lord almighty says I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you now I'll make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth God takes David by the hand as it were and shows him all the ways he has led him he has been guiding him he has been protecting him all this time God has taken David by the hands Every step of the way. God had appointed and anointed David king over Israel. From, when, from looking after the sheep out in the fields, God has anointed him to be king. God has protected him in battle, cutting off his enemies before him. God's grace was at work in David's life. God never left him. God never let him down. And How much more so for King David's greatest son, Jesus Christ. God, his father, was perfectly faithful to his son, Christ through life, through death, and even through resurrection from the dead. We see that many years later when Paul writes his letter to Philippians. He says this, that Christ humbled himself for becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God, his father, did not give up on his son at that moment, but as it were, took him by the hand and exalted him to the highest place. Gave him a name, not just the greatest name in all the earth, but the greatest name above all names. So the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every time acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so for those of us here today who are declaring right now, Jesus is Lord over my life, those of us in Christ, we can know that God will take us by the hand every step of the way. Whatever this year holds for us, through life, even through death, whatever this year holds, God is with us. And John Lewis knew that to be true in his life. He knew how deeply dependent he was on the grace of God Every Step of the way. He once wrote these words. If the Lord were to leave me one hour, I should fall into gross evil. I'm like a child who dares not go across Cheapside road in central London, unless someone holds his hands. Wonderful picture of John Newton's deep dependence on God every step of the way. And as we look back on our lives, we too can see God holding our hands, taking us every step of the way. His grace sustaining us, strengthening us and leading us wherever we go. So today, as we look back 250 years ago to that hymn that John Newton wrote, we can begin to see um, on this leaflet, it says under the title Amazing Grace, Faith, Review, and Expectation. That was the original title to this hymn. It was later called Amazing Grace after the first two words. But originally it was called Faith, Review, Looking Back, and Faith, Expectation, Looking Forwards. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness and grace to each one of us. We see in that first verse, sorry, Newton He looked back, he saw how he once was lost, but then God found him. He was blind, but then God gave him sight. He was once a wretch, but now by the amazing grace of God, he has been saved. And to be a Christian is to be able to say, that's not just John Newton and his story. That's my story too. To be able to say that we too were a blind, lost wretch until God, by his grace, took us and he found us, so he saved us and gave us eyes of faith to see, to see God in all his glory and grace. And for some of us, that might be a hard thing for us to say. I know for many years, I found it very hard to sing these words, really say, I, am I really a wretch without God? Some of us, that might be a hard thing for us to say. But I would encourage you and consider today to come to this God of grace, the God who transforms us, the God who transformed John Newton and can transform each one of us to consider what difference God in Christ can make to each one of us. So those of us following Jesus, it's worth us, worth us all considering. How have we seen God's grace at work in our lives up to this point, over our whole life, even over this last year? But John Newton, as he looked back on his life, he was always so aware of his hour he first believed as he wrote in this hymn. We can see that right at the end of his life. His last will and testament stated this. I commit my soul to my gracious God and Savior who mercifully spared, me, spared and preserved me when I was an apostate, a blasphemer, and an infidel and delivered me from a state of misery on the coast of Africa into which my obstinate wickedness had plunged me and has been pleased to admit me, though most unworthy, to preach his glorious gospel. You see, after all these years of preaching the gospel as a minister, is still so aware of how unworthy he is to be doing that. It's only because our gracious God and Savior has mercifully spared and preserved him. Now we may not refer to ourselves as an apostate, a blasphemer, an infidel before we came to Christ. We may not see ourselves needing God in that way. But if you have not yet met this God of grace, I would encourage you to come to him today. Come to him in prayer, after the service. As Jacob mentioned about Tri-Church in a couple of weeks, do come along to that and even Alpha after that to consider this God of grace that John Newton wrote about and sung about. And for those of us in Christ, we know that like Newton, we too have been saved by sheer grace. It's nothing we have done to deserve this, to earn this. It's all totally by God's grace. That's our story. And for all of us, we can look back and see what has brought us to this place. In the words of the hymn, what, how have we been brought safe thus far? And like Newton, we can see that God, by his grace, has brought us safe thus far through many dangers, toils, and snares. So for each of us, over this last year, let's think, what are those dangers, those toils, those snares that we have been through? It could be maybe challenges with health, or challenges in work, maybe in relationships with family, or with close friends. I know in my own life, over this last year, I can see God particularly at work in his calling on my life. Last summer, I was at a Conference and I was told that I was not yet ready to start training to be a vicar. And that certainly felt like a bit of a snare to my plans, plans that my wife and I had. And I could easily let that be a danger, let that shake me, shake my identity, to let that define who I am and forget who I am in Christ and let that determine who I am. But instead, God, by his wonderful grace, has given me a position here as a pastor or assistant, and God has been so gracious and given me opportunities to do things this year that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was training to be a vicar. For example, leading the team going into Brixton Prison is just one example of that. It's amazing to see how God's grace has been at work in my life, bringing me safe thus far. So I wonder for each one of us, how have you seen God's grace at work in your life? And more importantly, really, what is our response to God's grace? We see in the passage today that David was absolutely staggered at the grace of God's to him verse 16 he says who am i lord god what is my family you have brought me this far you can see the exclamation he can't quite believe it that god has chosen him if you're aware of the story of david you know he got some things badly wrong and yet god was so gracious to him and god is so gracious to each one of us to choose us to love us just as we are to transform us by his grace so let's start this year. Let's, too, like David, be astonished afresh at God's grace to us. Whatever we're feeling at the start of this year, let's look back to see how God has brought us safe this far, holding us by the hand each step of the way. We do not deserve it, and yet God has been so gracious to us. But that wasn't all. David continues in verse 17, "'And if this were not enough in your sight, my God. You have spoken about the future of your house.' Of your servants. You Lord have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. David's referring to what has just been said through the prophet Nathan. And God there has reminded David of his faithfulness to David, but also of the promises that God has made to him going forward. By sheer grace, God has said he'll make his name like the name of the greatest men on earth, but also that God will provide for him and for his household for many generations to come. We see God saying in verse 9: I will provide a place. For my people Israel, and I'll plant them so they will have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. I declare to you, the Lord will build a house for you. Instead of David at the start of the passage wanting to build a house for God, instead God said, I'll build a house for you. But it won't be in David's lifetime. God invites David to look ahead to what his offspring will do. God says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house. For me. And if we would to keep reading through Chronicles and 2 Chronicles 3, we'd see Solomon, David's son, does indeed build a house, a temple for God to dwell in. But God's not just talking about Solomon, David's son, but God's actually talking about his own son, Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of David many years later. God says, He'll, he is the one who will build a house for me, and I'll establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. As I took it away from from your predecessor, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Solomon was not on the throne forever, but this side of the cross and resurrection, we can look back to one of David's descendants, the son of David who was born not in a palace, but in a stable. The one who's set over God's house and God's kingdom forever. He is the king of kings. His throne is established forever and his name is Jesus. And David caught a glimpse of this at the end of the passage in verse 27, where he says, Now I've been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it'll be blessed forever. David could see that he has been blessed. He could see that his house, his household, his family, all his descendants will be blessed forever. But he couldn't couldn't see entirely how that was gonna happen. But wonderfully, we can see that in Christ. In verse 5, as we looked at already, God has said, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. We have seen that God is on the move. But wonderfully, God, we can now see how God has been on the move. God has moved towards us in Christ. Not just moving from one tent site to another, but coming to us, making his dwelling within us. As we see in John 1, where God became flesh, made his dwelling among us, in us, by his spirits. Because we look back and see God's faithfulness to us. So we can look ahead and be confident of his presence with us wherever we go. And the second half of our hymn, we can see in line with that original title, Newton switches from face review, looking back, to face expectation, looking forward. He, He turns from looking back at God's faithfulness to him and looking ahead to God's promises. And there's a line in the hymn that says, the Lord has promised good to me, His word, my hope, secures. And that comes directly from our passage in verse 26, where David says, you, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servants. So as we close, at the start of this year, we can look ahead with confidence the good things God has in store for us. Whatever we are facing this year, we know that God has promised good to us in Christ. Because of his promises to us, in Christ. And the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven was to assure them and promise them that he will be with them always, even to the very end of the age. So for those of us who are disciples of Christ, we can be assured of his presence with us wherever we go through, whatever this year holds for us. that's Jesus at the end of his life. He lifts our eyes up. He changed our perspective and leads us and invites us to consider the end of the age. And so in the last two verses of this hymn, we too are encouraged and our eyes are drawn to the life of joy and peace that awaits us in a new heavens and a new earth. Now for some of us, as we look ahead for this year, we might not have that same confidence of God's presence. We might instead be more worried about particular things in our life. I know for me, it's easy for me to become worried about things. For example, I know quite soon we're gonna have to move out of our flat, so it's easy for us to become worried about where we'll move, where, how that will all work out. It's easy for that to become all-consuming. And that's why we need our eyes lifted, our perspective changed. At the end of that, this hymn, which we're going to sing in a minute, we're encouraged to do just that. We're encouraged to lift our eyes up above the worries of this life, to the life that awaits us when Christ comes again. When, as we see we read and we, we will sing in a minute, that when God who called me here below will be forever mine. What a wonderful promise to hold on to the start of this year. Let's pray now before Rory comes to lead us in singing this hymn. As we come to pray, let's, let's bring our thoughts, our emotions, as come to God just as we are. As we look back over this last year, there might be gratitude, but there might also be frustrations. There might be regrets from this last year. Let's bring those to God now. And as we look ahead to this year to come, for some there may be excitement, but for others there might be, might be dread. There might be nervousness, worry, apprehension. And I encourage each one of us, as we sing this, this hymn, to, to use it as a declaration, almost as an anthem over our lives. That whatever dangers, toils, and snares we've been through, that God's grace has brought us safe thus far. And whatever this year holds, the Lord has promised good to us. His words, our hope secures. So Father God, we thank you that as we look back over our lives, we can see your faithfulness to us, your grace towards us. And as we look to this year ahead, we can be assured of your presence with us wherever we go. May we never lose the wonder of your amazing grace to us in Christ. In his name we pray.